0: Welcome to Design Much with Andy and
1: Patrick.
0: Hey, Patrick, how are you doing? What's
2: up, Andy? How's it going?
0: It's going good.
2: Am I too I'm echoey? Good.
0: I don't think so, but oh, um, yeah. there's, there's, there's a new reason why you're echoey, right, Patrick?
2: Yeah, because I'm not in my, well, I'm in my basement, but not in the unfinished part of my basement.
0: Yes, I see this a white official? wall behind you. It's a, a real wall, a real wall, <laughs> finished wall. That's just exciting. like you, you have Andy. I'm a real wall.
2: You're a real wall.
0: All right. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, well, Patrick, you're not the only one joining me on the show today. Uh, I am not. You're not. We also have a Melissa joining us on the show. Alyssa Lauber. How Hello. are you doing, Melissa?
1: Hey, doing well. Um, Sorry about the delay, but happy to be here.
0: Awesome, well, we're we're happy to have you. Um, so I actually work with Alyssa at Workfront, and um, you know, we want to have her on and talk about some awesome research stuff. So I'm really excited to have that conversation. And Alyssa, um, before we get started, um, do you want to take some time to kind of um, introduce yourself to let us let our audience know who you are?
1: Yeah, um, my name is Alyssa Lauber. I um, obviously, as Andy said, uh, work at Workfront. I come from academia, so I made the transition to industry two and a half years ago. I'm hoping to go back next year um, and finish my PhD in social psychology. But um, even though I've only been in the tech industry for two and a half years, I have about 10 years of research experience um, and all different kinds of research experience. So happy to be on here today uh, talking about how I've started a research program in at our company, Workfront.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And so um, let's jump into that. So if you could kind of go into what is a research program exactly, um, for those who may not know, um, and to kind of give you some context into that question, a lot of my career as a a UX designer, um, all of us designers were responsible for doing our own research. So we didn't have like a program or a team that was dedicated to doing research. So what does that actually look like?
1: So it can look like a lot of different things depending on the size of the organization you're at, depending on how highly they value research. Um, I specifically help facilitate mostly qualitative research right now at Workfront. Um, some organizations prioritize quantitative, some prioritize you know simply qualitative, some prioritize both. Right, so. Hmm. A research program could look high-level strategy could be somebody sitting at the top running high-level initiatives, allowing designers to do what they're doing, you know, usability testing, discovery. But you know, doing the work that transcends any one designer or product manager, um, research can look like that ground-level usability testing discovery researcher who. A designer comes to you or a product manager comes to you and says, I need, you know, research on this and you take it and you do the research and you generate a report and you give it back. Um, It's actually funny because at Workfront, I found myself kind of in this middle layer where it's Mm. where I am doing some of the day to day ground level work, um, helping people um, do the actual work that they need to do. But I'm also trying to um, carve out time to do this higher level strategy work that would benefit the entire product organization. So Research can look very different based on how important it is, how highly valued it is, how well-staffed you are. Um, but, yeah, I think there are pros and cons to at what to whatever level you you uh, you put research up.
0: Yeah, awesome. And so, when you started out at Workfront, what did research look like?
1: So there was another researcher at Workfront, and he was trying to find tools that could work. He was um, trying to figure out pendo. So doing some of the metric stuff, he was doing the right things. You know, he was looking for, you know, ways to get it going. Um, however, when I came in, I, I realized that some of my background in academia and running labs, you know, managing research. I could highly benefit, you know. I could really get it going um, at Workfront. So what I realized was, you know, I started with the basics, and so I actually made a list of like how I think I did this at Workfront or I am doing it at Workfront because I'm nowhere near finished. But the first thing I did was start with the basics, and I came in and I said, okay, so how do you run research now, right? And I'm watching them do it. I noticed that nobody uses a script, right? Nobody, and in academia, like academic research, we're using a script. Every time we run something, so that we stay consistent, because we don't want to be introducing different variables into the situation that shouldn't be influencing, right? So that's what academic research tends to try to do is like this standard, you know, you try to standardize whatever you can. Um, you try, you practice, you rehearse. So what I realized was we weren't using a script, nobody was practicing beforehand. I realized we weren't really taking good notes. Um, I realized we weren't recording um, all of our calls and then we weren't putting our notes anywhere. So my first real thing, um, real task at starting at Workfront was saying, everyone's using a script. Everybody is putting their notes in one place. Um, Everybody is going to write out their questions before they get to the study. Um, We're not just winging it all the time, right? Uh, So those basics, like my, my formal academic training really came into play. I think when I started at Workfront was, yeah, just laying that groundwork.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting. And so how was how that received as you came in and, um, you know, you, you made those observations and how, how how did that work out in terms of actually executing um, those basics?
1: Nobody was against it. Nobody was against what I had to say, you know, in terms of like how we should be doing things, but nobody was going to do the work for me, if that makes sense. So it's like, I had to prove that there was going to be value in it um, in order... <laughs> in order to really get buy-in, yes, people were gonna do it when I asked them to do it, but they weren't gonna update their notes or they weren't going to, um, you know, make sure everything was filled out or use that script unless I was just constantly encouraging. Um, But then anyway, yes. So in the beginning, you're you're, you're gonna be, it depends on how, you know, how receptive the organization is to a researcher coming in and saying, we need to set a standardized process but if you can quickly demonstrate value and say, "Look at what we can actually do." When you write down everything, we can pull out themes. Um, we can quantify it. You know, three out of five of our the people we just talked to express this pain point as their number one thing. Like when you can actually give people actionable data, I think that that's when you get buy-in. That's when you get people, you know, wanting to to follow best practices. So that was. When I started, it wasn't perfect, and it isn't perfect still. But um, I think Andy, you know, Andy came on like last year. Andy can attest to the fact that everyone's expected to do research now. You're expected to put it in Notion. You're, ex- you know, that's where we we keep our notes. I haven't been writing it lately, but you're expected to submit um, your findings to me for the newsletter. So I, I think that, yeah, that that was how. That was the first thing i started with the basics i started with was how can we standardize the process and then how can i quickly demonstrate value so that i can get buy-in and get people to continue to want to do it so
0: that's awesome yeah i really like that um you you did take the time to want to demonstrate that that value i think that's really important because yeah if you you come in and say we have to do all these things but you don't really give them a good reason as to why it's not going to work out super well. It's not going to, that plan of yours may not execute. No one's going to really, you know, follow through with, with a lot of that stuff. So um, I think that's really great. Um, So what, what have you learned along the way in terms of, yeah, you've been, you've been here, you've been at work for, you said two and a half years, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What sort of, what sort of things worked and didn't work um, as you've been um, building out this program?
1: So, yeah, I I jotted down some notes. So, starting with the basics worked well, right? It was, you know, mm-hmm. people people, um, people were, were willing to try what I had to say, right? And um, I, but also because I took the time to meet everyone, to understand what their pain points were, to, um, to let them know that I was going to be a resource, right? Basically what I talk about all the time, and I'm sure people are annoyed by me talking about it, but in psychology, we talk about the norm of reciprocity. It's a fundamental norm that exists everywhere in the world Um, and and, uh, meaning that when people violate it, we all feel this sense of ickiness. So what the norm of reciprocity is, is that if somebody gives you something, you expect something in return. That can be a thank you. That can be acknowledgement. That could be a physical gift or something in return, but people, this norm of reciprocity is just highly felt by everyone. And so anyway, so I keep that in mind whenever I interact with people is that I don't want to violate the norm of reciprocity, right? I don't want people to be giving me their time, their energy, you know, their have them, um, you know, follow the standards that I have set and not give something back. So anyway, that's something that I have really kept in mind. Sorry, didn't answer your question of like what has worked well and what hasn't. But I would say that that's something I keep in, in the back of my mind because and I'll get to it there were a few things in the beginning where I would go meet with people and I'd say, I really want to do this. And they didn't know me. Right. And I was saying, I I just need you to give me some of this data. And in a way I think I was violating the norm of reciprocity because they were like, why would I give something to somebody, um, you know, who hasn't given me anything and who isn't going to give me anything in return or who hasn't given me anything in return. And quite honestly, uh, you weren't here two and a half years ago, but the impression of product was that we didn't listen, you know, was Mm -hmm. that, people constantly tried to reach out to us and we didn't care. We were, you know, aloof. We didn't want to know. And so you have somebody in product saying, I want to hear from you and I want this. And people felt like they had been burned too many times. So instead of doing that, where I was forcing the burden on them to provide me with data, I just thought I'm going to do my best to get work done that will benefit them. Right. And pull them in later. Um, and so I, I turned my sites from external to internal. So that was like one way that i that was one failure that turned into a positive for me was saying like, okay, instead of focusing on research, you know, and working on this massive problem, which our massive problem was intake and it still is, how do I yeah. get the right data in? How am I informing the designers and product managers? Instead of tackling that right away, I thought I'm gonna start somewhere else and then go back to that one. And and it's worked really well, right? Like now people know who I am. Now people trust um, that I'm going to do my part and follow through on what I say. And now people are willing um to reciprocate so anyway yeah.
0: Um, I love that. So I think one of the first things that I struggled with as a a young UX designer as I was learning, you know, this whole thing is like, I wanted to be able to talk to individuals like our our users, our customers, but I didn't know how to go about doing that. You know, when I first did it, I was like, okay, I could offer them money, I could offer them some sort of incentive to, to talk to me. Um, And that's definitely one way about, you know, going to about getting, you know, research participants. Um, but at the same time, like, um, and this kind of goes along with what you're saying, it's like um, the the law of reciprocity. You do want to give them a reason to want to talk to you, right? And uh, what I've really found throughout my career is, your customers really want to, to actually have products ear. You know, they really want to talk to you to help your the product be better. And they're really excited when they're able to um, voice their opinion to To show and to show you what's not working in the product and show you what is working, um, so that's actually um, and like what you're saying, like you kind of turn that conversation into being more. Um, we are here to listen. We are here to improve the product for you, and then they're excited about talking to you. And and yeah, you turning that into something internal in the company as well is also really important. So um, that's that's definitely something that's really cool um, that I think everybody should take away that when you're you know, talking to your users, you should kind of turn it into that sort of thing. Like we're here to listen to what your needs are, what your concerns are so that we can make the product better. And that's a really great way to get, um, I think, you know, really good feedback from your users.
1: I have a couple comments on that. And the first being that in psychology, when we have somebody come into the lab and we do some kind of manipulation, sometimes people feel stupid, right? Or they feel frustrated, like we were intentionally frustrating them or we were doing something and part of the IRB, which is like an institutional review board uh, protocol, like you have to fill out um, this board reviews your your, um, study before you're even allowed to, to start it, is that when a participant leaves your study, they need to be at baseline or above. And so I think about that every time I talk to a customer, but I think about the above piece Every customer should walk away from an interaction with me or any of the designers or PMs in our org and feel better than than when they started. So that's just something that I very intentionally work on. Um, you know, I because I genuinely mean it. They did not have to give time me their time out of their day to help me do my job better, right? Mm-hmm. And they did. So I want them to feel like because it absolutely is true for me that the time that they just invested is not going to be wasted and that I'm going to use every grain of information I just learned, you know, to its maximum potential. So when you just said that, it's like, yes, that's, that's one of the th- that's one of the ways that like I, I highly value customer um, investment and I want them to feel like that investment is, is going to turn into something. So anyway, just, and that and the other thing i was going to say is that when you mentioned that as a young designer you just didn't know how to get it going right how to get you know you know you want to talk to people but you don't know how to do it um one of the one of the ways that i really think i've been able to get workfronts research program up and running is uh because like a year and a half ago i surveyed the designers and i said what's the number one pain point you have? Like what isn't working for you? And everyone was saying scheduling and finding per- like their number one pain point yeah. was finding people. <laughs> they just, they were like, how do I do it? What do I do? And so while it's been very ops heavy on my side, I, I spent a lot of time figuring out how can I schedule people really efficiently? How can I get, make the process easy? How can I find people the right people Um find designers, find product managers, the right people, because I knew that if I could re- remove that barrier to entry, that then people would start doing research more rarely because it was painless. And then if you look around, everyone's doing research. So then it becomes the norm. So then you feel, and I don't mean to be like manipulative, but then you see, you look around and if you're seeing you're the only designer not doing research or you're the only product manager not doing research, it encourages you to do it in that way too. So anyway, I just wanted to touch on that, that I, you know, as a researcher, I think my, my goal is to be of service to product managers and designers. And really, it's to help us build the right thing and product. And so how are we going to do that? We're going to do that through research, right? And how are we going to do research? We're going to have to talk to people. And so if the main barrier to talking to people was, Hey, I don't know who to go to. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it efficiently. I don't know how to, you know, it takes too much time or this or this or this, or this," I really zeroed in on that and thought I can make that process easier. I can make it smoother. I can remove that barrier. And I think that that has been really successful at Workfront.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And um, in terms of like uh, yeah we're, this is a, of course like working at Workfront for me like this is my first time as i mentioned before working with a research team working with somebody who who specializes in research and if anybody is is wondering you know why or why not they should have um, a research um, individual in your company especially one that works with ux um this is one of the biggest things because the sourcing um finding research participants doing that stuff is like the hardest part it's like <laughs> it's so difficult um to find those people and um that something that is something that Alyssa has helped out with a lot with our team and so like something that i as a designer appreciate a lot because that that's a whole another beast on its own in terms of like you, you know as a designer you're trying to like you're trying to find out what are the right questions to ask people you're trying to you know design these tests that give you the right answers and that that takes a lot of work in on its own, but then also trying to find the right people to talk to is a lot of extra work. Um, And so that's been a huge help on on my sort of side as well and also getting the feedback that i've gotten from um, our ux researchers and um, the the ux team or the ux research team uh, on my tests and all my stuff has been super helpful so. that's definitely yeah. been really great to have that as a resource.
1: I was just going to say that you know one of the main things. <laughs> there, sorry. Here's my son. Here, back up. Thank you. <laughs> um, one of the the main benefits I think that I add um, that. Sorry, can you guys shut the door, please? Thanks. One of the main uh, benefits I think I add that we do in academic research is peer review, right? you are too close to the subject. You're too close. They're your designs or they're your, it's your, you know, product that you're developing as a product manager. So having somebody like me, like having a researcher be able to come in and say, what are you really trying to learn? Yes, I hear, I see these questions that you have, but like, what are you at the core trying to learn? I think that that is something that benefits people in ways that like they don't even know, right? It's like, it allows the designer to take a step back to, to have somebody who's impartial. Because what I say to everyone, what I say to customers, what I say to designers, what I say to product managers is, I actually don't know how long this took you to make. I don't know what kind of effort went into it. I I just wanna get you to, to, it leaves me unafraid to, to, to give my feedback and to get people to the right position, right? Whereas on the other hand, you guys might say, I've invested a lot of time in this, like this is the way we're going, or this is the direction we're going. But I think that when you have research, you build in these natural stop gaps where you're saying, no, you know, this is the gate, we need to get through this, we need to test. And I just think that in the end, you're going to build a better product sooner. Right. You're going to it's going to lead you to your best work, just as it does in academic research, peer review, having that external pair of eyes, having somebody poke holes or suggest improvements that leads to better work.
0: Yeah, always. Awesome. Perfect. So um, my final question for you. Um, so let's say a company is considering, you know, investing more in research. Um, what are some practical first steps for them? Um, when, when they're trying to consider that, also when they're they're starting a program, what what should they consider?
1: That's a tough one. Um, because one of the first things I would suggest probably is to find somebody who can think at different levels. Right. And the reason I'm saying that, and when we talked in, you know, initially about some people do strategic research, some people do on the ground, you know, testing research and me kind of sitting in the middle and trying to do it all. That isn't going to work forever. Right. Like I, I feel overworked in a lot of ways because I'm constantly thinking at different levels, but I think when you're initially building a research program, unless you're going to actually staff it, which nobody ever just like starts off saying like, yeah, here's, you know, a couple million dollars. Let's just get you anybody, anybody you need, whatever. (laughs) I think you need somebody who's going to be tenacious and somebody who's going to prove value quickly um, and who is going to find the areas that need the most improvement. So this is what, this isn't the analogy I keep using all the time and everyone's probably tired of hearing it. I don't know, you haven't heard it yet, Andy, but I keep talking about how as a researcher, I feel like a surgeon. I feel like a, a surgeon and I feel like I'm, I have someone laying in front of me. And sometimes people are saying to me, you know, Alyssa, I need you to, to improve this, this and this and this. And yes, those things need to be improved, but they're good enough. It's almost like saying, you know, give this person a facelift, right? It's like, it's non, it's, it's non-essential, but you know, it's cosmetic. Me on the other hand, I look at as a surgeon. I look down. I see. Okay, well, I could give this person a facelift, or I could uh, attend to the um, the leg the leg that's been cut off. <laughs> what I'm saying is, it's like you need to be attending to the whole body, right? Like to the whole body of research. And I think that while some people might say, like, oh, you know what, we should we should focus on this, this, and this, and this, I think you need to, as a researcher, be strategic about where you can provide the most value. Like, where is it the worst? Like where can I get it, you know, even to okay? Um, because I think that the the nice to haves are nice to haves, right? And so I think that within you know workfronts uh, designers and product managers, I think that there's improvement, right? I think everyone could do better. But I think that now everybody's been using a script. Everybody's been trying to, you know, be warm to participants to leave them better than they were. Everybody's taking notes. Everybody's recording everything. Everybody's writing up their results. like, We are pretty good, right, compared to what we were two and a half years ago. So Mm -hmm. when I see other areas, um, like surveying or things that were happening around me, other types of research that had no gate, that was that there was no peer review, there was nothing like that. That's where I have attended to. So anyway, to circle back to your question of if you're building something, you know, a a research program from scratch, like where do you start? I think you start with finding the right person or somebody who's going to really be able to. Um, who has a diverse set of skills and who's able to zone in on where the real pain points are, like where, where is the leg cut off? I mean, I know that that's not a great analogy, but you know, where is that? Um, Because you have a tendency, I think with any job role, there is the job description, you know, there's the, this is what you'll be doing. But I think as a researcher, you need to be unafraid to push those boundaries like I think that I have done my best work for the product organization by thinking outside of the box by saying it's not really like I hear what you're saying but it's not really this problem it's it's this problem like our original problem with product orgs you know that perception that everybody had outside of the product organization that product didn't care was a visibility issue it wasn't that product didn't care it was that product wasn't wasn't it was violating the norm of reciprocity they weren't saying you're give, investing this in me and I'm giving this back. So what did we do? We started a research calendar, right? Anyone on the, in the organization can see what kind of research we're doing. I started a Slack channel. I've, I've tried um, groups. I've tried a lot of different things. I've failed in different ways, but um, yeah, I think that finding somebody you can think outside the lines, I think um, finding somebody who's willing to do any kind of work to get a program going. I also think um, investing in tools, If you're if you're able to do that, even just a few tools, um, are really great. Get a really good scheduling tool because, as a researcher, that's a that does take a lot of time, right? I need an effective way to schedule. Um, you know, find a way like start establishing relationships with people, um, with customers who are who are willing to give you feedback, and then use them to snowball recruit, right? Can you find me somebody else at your organization? So, start doing that. Um, if I were again building a research program, it would be, um, yeah doing what you can, but also pushing outside the, you know, pushing the boundaries and trying to find opportunities where you can get um, maximum return on investment. The other thing I would say, if you're building a research program and you have limited amounts of people, one or two, or what, however many, is to gather advocates. I think that now that I have designers who are saying, yes, you know, what Alyssa does is important and we should be doing this. Now I have people who are willing to, to try to follow best practices. So just it's it's like that parable of like teaching someone to fish, right? Rather than you know giving them the fish, teaching them to fish, they're able to feed themselves. So I I think that that's another um, piece of advice I would give. Um, another thing is like when you are starting a research program, is obviously not to be afraid to try and fail. There have been many things I've tried that I realized that was too much investment. I'm asking too much from somebody else. The norm of reciprocity is violated. I can't continue with this. But um, I you know, it, it worked while it worked, it, it, you know, it didn't. And so we're going to pivot and find something else. So being unafraid. Um, yeah, I think that those are the main things. Oh, and the final thing, I think when you're building a research program, that's really important, is that no matter how many people you hire, or what you're doing is to try as a researcher to make every interaction positive and worthwhile. I just think everyone, just as I do with customers that you should leave an interaction, you know, customer call feeling better than when you came, people should feel like they're in good hands when they're talking to you um, about research. So, sorry, I pivoted a little bit with your question, but I was just trying to say that um, when building a research program, finding the right person is really important. Trying to um, find tools is really important. And then as the researcher that you hire is thinking outside the lines, pushing boundaries, finding where you can get your biggest return on investment, gathering advocates. Um, Yeah, I would say those are the main things.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, I think there's a lot of really good concepts that um, designers, even without a research team, can employ right now. Um, So I think those are all super important and um, will help um, all that are doing research out a lot. So I really appreciate that. Um, Patrick, do you have any other questions before we finish up?
2: Man, no, I'm just I'm just sitting back taking notes because we need to do this at Canopy somehow. I don't know if we can have, I don't know if we can hire a researcher, but at least try to set up some of these steps. He said this is great, this is fantastic. Like I'm, just the fact that we all take to notes on the same page <laughs> in the same app. <laughs> we're going to start there.
1: <laughs> You're going to start with the centralization piece, which is what I talk about. Well, it's actually just even writing it.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if exactly. people are writing notes.
1: <laughs> exactly. So if I were to give like a couple quick tips for somebody who has no researcher and no resources, it would be um, peer review for each other. When, what I mean by that is have another designer pair up with people, have another designer, attend your calls and be the note taker. Like just get that going where you have somebody who is not, you know, biased to to that your work doesn't know how much time you've invested or anything like that, sit there and take notes for you. Um, Because you're going to hear something different than what somebody else is going to have, or at least recorded on zoom, and then take notes after but I would say the number one thing is have a note taker at first, use that script that I talked about in the beginning. Um, And then, yeah, take the notes and then take the time to synthesize at the end of each round. Um, I know it's, it's, you know, heavier on uh, burden on the designer side, but start with that and then with that visibility piece that is the main one to tackle if everyone knows what everyone is working on i think that like everyone benefits so whether it is a weekly or monthly get together where you're informally sharing results whether it's a research calendar why not just get a scheduling um, app and start pushing all of your um events to one calendar now everyone can see what everyone's doing i mean it just I think that even just that, um, so the note-taking piece and then the visibility piece, uh, those two pieces would get you like going with a research program.
2: Yeah. Awesome
1: stuff.
0: Absolutely. Well, Lissa, this has been um, really awesome. I've I've learned a lot. There's a lot of really cool things that um, you talked about. So I really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Yeah, I'm always happy to talk again because part of this reciprocity thing is like i feel like i'm putting good out in the world right and i i want people uh to benefit and anything i can do to help um designers and product managers up level their research skills i think it's a win for everyone it's a it's a win for the people yeah. doing the work and it's a win for for the people consuming the work right so i am really passionate about helping people do their best work um, which is why it's a good fit for me to work at workfront but uh, I am also always happy to connect and talk about some tangible steps if you ever need it. So
0: awesome. Well thanks for coming on, Alyssa, and you have a great day.
1: Yep. Yeah. See you guys.
2: You want to know the best way to support the podcast, and I know you do because you made it to the end of this episode. That is share it. Share it with a coworker, share it with a family member, share it with a friend. Share it with whoever you want to, share it with a construction worker, share it with somebody, it doesn't matter. Just share it. Um, a couple more ways to support the podcast though. Go buy a t-shirt over at designmuch.threadless.com and then wear it with pride. And then lastly, to support the podcast, we need your topics. Use hashtag designmuchtopics on social media or shoot us an email at topics at designmuch.org, or just go to designmuch.org contact and fill out the form.